so on that note, so we're going to get into Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 today, and I just ask for forgiveness up front. I'm going to jump around a lot. I'm going to kind of talk through 5, 6, and 7 in the flow of a logical flow of topics rather than go 5, then 6, and 7. So just keep your Bibles open and be prepared to kind of uh, go through the, the pages with me. But for some of you guys who've studied the Bible probably more than me, and I know there's a lot of you guys in here who have, um, Song of Solomon. If you think about the book Song of Solomon, what's the initial thing you think about? Anyone want to just throw that out there? What's that? Lots of wives. Lots of wives, yeah. So, so the, uh, the book Song of Solomon, I think, is, it, it's a fascinating book. Uh, and it's probably best known as, you know, the only erotic novel in, in, in the Bible, right? It, it's, a, it's kind of a weird book. You go, you go back after this, if you haven't, read Song of Solomon. Read that with your wife. That's a fun time. Um, but it, it, it reads almost like an erotic novel. Not that I've ever read an erotic novel to, to, to know what to compare. But real fun story on that. Before we closed down the Crossings Library, I was walking through the Crossings Library one morning. And I found an Amish romance novel, an Amish romance novel in the Crossings Library. And I thought to myself, we need to do a better job of editing this process. But anyway, uh, but yeah, yeah, well, hold on, yeah, we're not going to get into Pelosi discussion already, uh, Major Duck. So, so, but Song of Solomon, it reads very interesting. It, it's a love story between a man and a wife. It's probably the epitome of, of the joy that comes between a man and a wife and in all the ways that God has provided that. And so you can read Song of Solomon with the understanding, level one, of this is about a story of a man and his wife. Now, you can also read Song of Solomon with a deeper understanding, though. You can read it with an understanding that this is actually a story between God and his people, right? God and his people. And you have to get past a little awkwardness whenever you get to that, but... God uses the illustration of marriage over and over and over again throughout the Bible to discuss the intimacy he has with us. And I think the reason he does is there's no more intimate relationship other than marriage that we have any way to understand. And so think about all Jesus' teachings. He gets time and time again into the marriage illustration. Uh, you, You think about Jesus referring to himself as the bridegroom and the church being the bride. Uh, think about the Last Supper and the communion story. The communion story is a, a wedding ceremony, right? When we drink from the cup, that is a ceremony of old Jewish weddings where, where you took and you accepted each other, right? So we get, we get this marriage uh, idea time and time again. And the reason I bring that up today is in the Old Testament, you see the idea of marriage being discussed a lot as well between God and his people. But, but in particular, you get a lot of examples where God's people are sometimes referred to as adulterous uh, because they are violating the covenant, that, that intimate covenant between God and his people. And so as we read this passage in Proverbs today, I want us to take out of it that first level. We need the wisdom in this Proverbs, that first level of adultery being a topic between man and wife, right? That's a very important thing for us to understand. 
And this is not meant for me to be a convicting lesson because I know you guys have all, I've, I've had a number of discussions with many of you in this room. I know many of you have, have gone through this on one side of the equation or the other. And so it's not meant to be a convicting lesson. I want us to understand, though, God gives us a lot of wisdom here for a very good purpose. And for those of you who've gone through adultery on one side or the other, you're going to, I think, probably empathize with this wisdom probably more than the rest of us. But I also want you, as we're going through this, to kind of keep playing in your mind that second level. As we think man and wife, when we think adultery, when we think, when we think this, think about your relationship with God. Keep that in mind, and I'll, I'll tie it back in at the very uh, end of this lesson, but try to keep those two tracks going through all throughout our discussion today. I see a couple odd stairs. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. All right, so what we're going to do, is we're going to start, if you have your note pages, for any of you guys on Zoom, uh, the email I sent out, or for you guys here, keep your note page with us. I'm going to try to walk through this in order of the notes. And the first thing we wanted to look at is, is these Proverbs, which, like I said, just step back for a moment and think about just how crazy it is, how much language, how much wisdom about adultery is in three consecutive chapters in the book of Proverbs. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. But it's going to start with giving us a warning, you know, making sure we're paying attention uh, with a warning. And if you guys on Zoom don't mind muting, that would be much appreciated. I'll go ahead and I will mute a couple of you guys if I can. I can't figure out how to mute you. So anyway, so if you can, turn, turn to chapter 5. I'm going to start by reading verses 3 through 6. And it says this. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. I think it's an interesting warning. Uh, Just to quickly articulate that, uh, in ancient Israel... The sweetest thing that you could consume, the absolute sweetest thing you could consume is honey. Right? So think about it as the best of the best of sweetness. Uh, the smoothest thing you could, you could consume is olive oil. Right? So, so you're, you're getting these extreme examples in this proverb of sweetness and smoothness that would have been very, very vivid to the people of Israel. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, which was actually the most bitter substance in ancient Israel. So you get these extreme examples. So you know, it seems tempting. It seems great. It seems like everything you desire, but in the end, it will be bitter. All, all going down to, you know, this path you're on, this, this temptation you're going down, will lead to death. And she, the temptress, doesn't even know it, right? May not be an intentional thing. If you keep going down to some warnings we get, I want you to flip to chapter 7. And again, get used to just flat flipping back and forth here a little bit. I want to read chapter 7, verses 7 through 10. And this is really Solomon almost telling a story. Like he's looking out his window late at night, and he sees this, this young man going down the road, and he knows what this young man is going to do. Right. So, so here's what he says in, in, in verse 7. It says, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. 
And if you flip the page, I'm going to go to, to verse 17 through 23. And this is the woman that the young man meets talking to, to the young man. She says, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. Kind of makes you want to have a few conversations, but for my husband is not at home. And then in verse 21, she says, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. So all this warning that we're getting here is just this, this understanding that in particular as men, same temptation exists with women, but in particular as men, it's very easy to be tempted by this, to be tempted by something that seems as, um, as sweet as honey, as smooth as oil, uh, the, the, the beautiful smells of cinnamon and myrrh. You, know, that you think about all these. They're given these extreme examples of the nicest of the nice, of the best of the best, and how easy it is to be persuaded and to be compelled to do what we ought to not to do. So there's just, I want to see how how vivid these warnings are in the book of Proverbs about not going down this road. So the first thing is we get the warning, but then Proverbs is very, very clear. We get some very straight, straightforward, clear-cut guidance on how to avoid this temptation. And it's not overly complicated, right? We don't have to, we don't have to get out the commentaries to really make sure we understand this. Anybody can read this and go, oh, well, that makes sense. So if you can, just flip back to chapter 5, and we're going to get this immediate explanation of what to do to avoid temptation. So chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 go like this. It says, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth, which is short for pay attention to what I'm about to say. Right? Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Verse 8, Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, which is short for don't even put yourself in the situation where you could be tempted. Right? Don't go down the road. Don't go near her door. Don't go to the places where you will be tempted. Just stay away. Stay away from it. If you go to chapter 6, verse 25, it says this. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Uh, which, Which I started thinking about this one a lot. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. If somebody has captured you with her eyelashes, what does it mean? What does that tell you has already happened? Right. Yeah, you, You've gotten too close. You know like that bumper sticker you say that says, if you can read this bumper sticker, you're way too close, right? If, yeah, what's that? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So if you are close enough to be tempted by and to be captured with the beauty of her eyelashes, if you are looking into her eyes in that way, you've already gone too far, right? That's your first warning, back away. Get away from the danger, right? I mean, like you should not be putting yourself in that situation. There's something very intimate about looking into the eyes of someone else. And if you're looking into the eyes of another woman in that way, you have already gone too far. I love how just simple this wisdom is. If you get nothing out of this, it's don't put yourself in the position to be tempted the way we as men are so easily tempted. 
I really wish I had read this in my lifetime. Like, like well before, like when I got married, when I first got married, I really wish I had gone through this Proverbs. For those of you uh, who have never been married or will be married someday or something, pay attention to that proverb. Uh, I, I, I'm very fortunate. My, neither my wife or I, to my knowledge, but no, I'm just kidding. Neither my wife or I have, have committed adultery. We've, we've been faithful in our relationship. Uh, but man, did I put myself in situations in my early 20s in particular where I came really close to being a complete idiot and ruining everything that I have. And, and I think about what I did wrong is I just put myself in the situations where things could have happened. Uh, I, there's many, I, I just got done training a couple of our pastors on staff on how to do finance expense reports, which is a very fun part of my job. But, but I was training them on how to do expense reports. And I always take the moment to remind them that when, when you're thinking about expense reports, when you're thinking about going out to eat and those things, don't be riding in another car with a female. If you're a male pastor, you're not allowed to be in a car alone with another female. Uh, if, you're, if you're a male pastor, you are not allowed to go out to coffee with a female by yourselves. I don't even want you guys put in that situation, right? And there is wisdom to that. We all make, like a lot of people make fun of the Billy Graham rule and the Mike Pence rule, uh, but there's a lot of wisdom to just not putting yourself into a situation to be tempted. I came very close, and, and I... I I know that there was probably some of those moments where had I, had I just had the right words said to me or if I had just been in the right argument with my wife right before I put myself in that temptation, how easily it would have been to just cross over the line. Don't go near her house, it says. Right? We've got to remember that. So simple direction. Uh, don't forget that as you leave class today. But once we get past the direction... The proverb almost goes to, it's almost like a fatherly tone where it says, but by the way, if you, if, you, if you don't listen to that guidance, let me just remind you, there are real consequences to not listening to what I just told you. Uh, I, I like how it's described in, in chapter 7, verses 27 through 29, if you want to turn there real quick. Uh, verses, I'm sorry, that's not right, it is... Give me just a second. Chapter 6, verses 27 through 29. Sorry, got my own notes wrong. Chapter 6, 27 through 29 says this. Can a, mar- can, a, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes but not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Pretty much saying, you're not that good. If you think you can handle this, right? if you think you can pull this off, you're not going to be able to pull it off. It's eventually going to come back to bite you. It's going to hurt somebody. It's going to happen. So don't be some guy who thinks you're good enough to carry hot coals on your chest and not get burned. This will have consequences. Verses 32, I like this real quick. It wasn't in my notes, but we'll go through it. Verses 32 through 34 says this. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Uh, he will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be walked away. And, and when I was reading this in my Bible, I kind of wrote out next to the margins, I wrote hand on stove. It kind of reminds me of, of, of that old illustration of when you tell your kids, the stove's hot, don't touch the stove. And then they go, oh, really? And they touch the stove, and then they complain when their hand gets burned, right? If the stove's hot and you touch it, you're going to get burned. So, so everything in the Bible's true. Let's just accept this as truth real quick. We're going to suffer consequences. Uh, Proverbs, though, gets very specific of what will happen if we go down this road. And, and for those of you guys who've gone through this, I, I, I really do think you'll probably relate to this. 
so if we go back to chapter 5, verses 9 through 14, uh, get very, very specific. It says, if you go down this road, it says, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. I just thought those words were very, very stark. I mean, just very bold. And, and I don't think it's a hard stretch for us to all imagine that this is true. You go down this road, think about, the, think about even if you haven't, think about the men you know who've, who've really had a tough time going through this issue and how easy is it for them to, to lose their money, how easy it is to, for them to lose the ones they love, how easy is it for them to feel shame and embarrassment and disgrace, to, to withdraw from their community of friends, to withdraw from their church, how many people have had relationships just burned through this, uh, and, and, and just... And the consequences keep piling up, and even you get to the end of your life, and it was one of those life-altering mistakes that is just hard to overcome. Now, now, what is fantastic is that by the grace of God, we can all be forgiven and redeemed and restored, and, and we work with couples every day, every day out in our counseling offices, every day, couples going through this, who feel like there is no way in the world their marriage can be restored and who find a way to do it by forgiving each other and trusting in Christ, right, with their marriage. So, so this is not a death sentence, but these consequences are true. If it's not for the, the grace of God, these consequences are absolutely true. Um, how easy it is for, for us to really lose all that is near and dear to us as we go down that road. Also, in 5, 21 through 23, we read this. It's a, it's a really helpful reminder. It says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Remember, there's nothing we do that escapes the sights of God, right? For, for a man's ways are always before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. His, he dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly... He is led astray. I underline three times these words, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. So often we can rebel against whatever order, whatever institutions in our life. We can rebel against our marriage. We can rebel. We can go and commit adultery. We can go to the other woman. We can go to the things that our wife is not providing and feel like we are experiencing freedom. Freedom from that institution of marriage. But it is a fool's errand, right? It is absolutely foolish to think that by going and engaging in sin, we will experience freedom. These words, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, tell us sin itself will capture you. It will, it will, it will hold you tight. It will prevent you from experiencing freedom. We either have freedom in Christ or we, have, we, we, we suffer unfreedom in sin. Another way to say it is you're either a slave to Christ or you are a slave to sin. We have to be careful not to be led astray by this temptation that we can experience freedom outside of our marriage covenant. I, I had a, uh, there's a guy on staff here at the church 
um, who, who had a longtime friend, friend for four or five decades. And friend came to him, and this guy had a wife. He had grandchildren. And he came to one of our pastors on staff and just said, hey, I've, I've had enough. I'm not happy. Uh, I'm just, I'm gone. I'm leaving. Uh, I'm leaving my family. I told my family last week I'm, I'm going. And they were utterly distraught, but I just, I'm not happy, and I need to go find happiness. And, and I was so thankful that our pastor looked at his friend in the eye and told him he was a fool, right? Told him he was a fool, right? And told him that everything, the way he is thinking is corrupted. It is not going to give you the outcome you think it's going to give you. You're going to cause real pain. And they prayed together, and this guy repented and went back to his family, asked for forgiveness, and restored, right? Restored his family, right? But, but how easy it was for that guy to think, I am going to go get something different. I'm going to have a better outcome by going down this road. And how many men do you know who have left their families because they said they were no longer happy, right? It is an absolute fallacy, right? That is not what the Bible teaches us to do. So we see this. We, we get a warning. We get very simple direction telling us what not to do to make sure we don't, we don't go down this road. And we are told very clearly what the consequences are if we do go down this road. But then what's not in your notes is God gives us a very nice alternative. Uh, really gives us some wisdom of another way of thinking through this. And so if you go to chapter 5, I want to read verses 17 through 20. And verses 17 through 20 to me might as well be a Cliff Notes version of the Song of Solomon. So if you don't want to read that whole book tonight with your wife, which you probably shouldn't, but uh, this is a good Cliff Notes version. It says this, another way to live is this, let them be for yourself alone, meaning, meaning let, let your desires be for, for yourself alone, meaning for your wife, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Be intoxicated always in her love. So you guys can go home. For those of you guys who are married, you can go home tonight and say, Blake said that I need that, to make sure that your breasts fill me at all times with delight. And that was the end of the lesson, right? That's all we talked about. Uh, and it's in the Bible, so it must be true, so let's not be disobedient men and women, right? So, but think about this. He's saying, as an alternative, that is your cistern, your well, that is your water for your household, right? That is yours. Embrace it. Love it. Be intoxicated by that. That is a gift that God has given you. He wants you to enjoy each other. Look upon your wife longingly. Look upon her with the eyes that, that you have been tempted to look at another, right? Let that be your reward because it is sweeter than honey. It is smoother than oil, and it is not bitter like the consequence of what you think is going to satisfy you, right? There is a beautiful alternative given to us in this text. So the immediate applications, we go down to the bottom of this, immediate applications for this lesson. Uh, first thing is, what, is this, what does this text tell us on the first, first level of understanding? So let's think about this between man and wife. What does this tell us? What I want you guys to, to go out of here remembering is that we are given a simple warning. Don't go near the house. Don't go near the house. Whenever you are tempted, remind yourself, just don't put yourself in that situation. Have self-control. Because, because if you get tempted too far, it is more and more difficult 
to have self-control. Now, this can be, this can be, this application can be as straightforward as it says. I mean, don't go near the house. Don't go with that woman. Don't do those things. But you can also think about what are the things that get in our head that, that will then lead us further into temptation. This is a great application of why men shouldn't be watching pornography, right? Because it rewires the way we think. It rewires the way we think about that beautiful alternative of our wife. It rewires what we think sex is about. It, it does those things. It's, it's, it's actually a chemical uh, process. It's not a, just, this isn't just philosophy. Uh, whenever you, you absorb that information, it's going to rewire the way you think about things, which, which is why it's almost like a drug. Uh, for anyone who's ever been addicted to drugs, uh, w- the more, the more and more you take, it changes your consumption levels and how much more you need in order to get the same feeling, the same buzz, whatever it may be, right? Pornography works the same way. It rewires the way you think about women. It rewires the way you think about enjoyment. Uh, and, and so that's a great thing. When we say don't go near the house, don't go near those things you, we, we shouldn't be watching because it changes the way we think about our wives or we think about women if we're not married. So easy, easy application but very important application. And then I want you to remember the alternatives. Remember the way this proverb tells us we should be thinking about our wives, right? Uh, really pay some attention to that. If, if you need more on that, honestly, go, go home and read Song of Solomon. That's how we should be treating and thinking about our wives. So that's that first level. Now, then I, I want to get to the second level here. And so what is, if we were to change Everything we've just learned about this text, we were to replace wives with God, right? Keep the man relationship with us, but think about, think about our wives as an intimate relationship with God. And think about adultery as us putting things ahead of God, as us being lured away, being tempted away to, to make that covenant we have with God not the most important things in our life. What I want you to talk about for just a couple minutes at your table, and we won't do this for long, is I want you to think about this. What is it in our life that is tempting us to make something else more important than God? What, are we, what, what in our life are, are we saying seems as sweet as honey or as smooth as oil, and we're putting that ahead of our relationship with God? And I want you to talk about what you think that may be in your life, because we all have a mistress, right? We all have a mistress in our relationship with God. We've all, if we don't have it now, we've had them, Right? What is it? And here's my hint to you to figure out who your mistress is and, and allow yourself to be convicted a little bit of this. What is it that you talk the most about when you're around your friends? Think about that just a little bit. What do you talk the most about? What do you seem to be the most in love with? And, and just talk about that a little bit in term, at your groups, and we'll come back and wrap this lesson up. All right, go ahead. And you guys on Zoom, feel free to do as well. All right, well, let's, let's bring it back. Uh, I heard some good conversations around here, and, uh, and there's probably no one right answer on this. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about to end the lesson today is, is the mistress I see creeping into the church. And um, for some reason, God's given me you guys to help shepherd just a little bit, and you guys have to shepherd me right back at times. Um, but, but I see a mistress creeping into the American church in particular right now that worries me so very much. And, and, I, and if, I don't know if it came up in many of the tables, but I think we've got to be very, very careful to not allow politics to become our mistress. 
And I suspect that came up in almost every table in some way. Either politics or sports is probably the most temptation that we have. Uh, but we need to be very, very careful that politics doesn't become our mistress. If you, if you answer the question, what is it that you talk about the most with your friend group in particular, how many of you guys just sit there and go, politics is actually probably what I talk about the most? Right now, right now, as we get into this election cycle, we cannot allow politics to be our mistress. And I, I, I'm going to be a bit transparent here. I, I, I walked away from church on Sunday absolutely angry. I, I, I've, I don't know if I've ever walked away from this place being as angry as I was. And um, what happened, two things happened to me. I was having a great conversation with a, a couple, and we were getting ready to walk into the sanctuary to worship God, and they went on a pretty big rant about um, how evil everything in the world was and how if one person didn't get elected, the whole world was going to go down the tube and how evil these people could be right as we're getting ready to go approach the altar to worship our Lord and Savior. And, and it doesn't mean they were wrong, uh, but, but, but that hard-heartedness had crept its way in when we were getting ready to go to the communion feast. When we were getting ready to sit at the table when the ultimate joy of worshiping our Lord and Savior, which is what our hearts should be tuned in for on a Sunday morning, what we were talking about was the evil people over there that they were personifying. Then I got a comment card, and I... This one, I about lost it on. I got a comment card written to me, and Josh and I sort the offering after every Sunday uh, morning. And so we're sorting the offering, and I got a comment card. And just for reference, I'm happy to deal with any negative comment at this church. I, that's part of my job. Uh, I go and I deal with the bad stuff. It just happens. Uh, but I will not deal with a negative comment card if you're not man enough to sign your name or woman enough to sign your name. And so, so this one didn't have a name signed to it. But if you guys were at church on Sunday... We had a young man in our church who's been here since he was in fourth grade, and he lost his parents. He, he lost the only parent he ever really had. He has some developmental disabilities. Um, he was adopted by a couple in our church, and they took him in and took care of him when no one else would. His small group leader has been looking out for him for years. Uh, we had a person in our church who went and took care of him and made sure that he got... Uh, we have a person in our church who owns a mechanic shop, who made sure the next three years his oil changes are taken care of, his car washes are taken care of. He's going to call him every 3,000 miles and make sure he comes in to know how to change his oil because this guy's never had a dad. He's never had a dad, right? He never had anyone to show him how to take care of a car. So we've got somebody in our church, a mechanic in our church, who's never met this kid, who's going to call him every 3,000 miles and make sure he shows up. We've got an insurance agent who's never met this guy who's going to bring him in and teach him about insurance. You know, and, and, and we've got people who've paid for the insurance premiums for the next year. Right? We've seen the body of Christ come together to support somebody in need, which is what the Bible tells us to do. And the comment card I got said, you put him up there because he was black. Right? Because he was black. Would you have done that? Would you have done that with anyone else? The comment card said, I've worked hard my entire life, and, and you wouldn't do that if he wasn't black. And so here's my issue. Here's my issue. I know where that comes from. I know where it comes from. And to think that Marty Grubbs would allow the politics of this world to come in and affect a Sunday morning means you don't know who Marty Grubbs is, right? 
There is no, that guy's ethnicity had, or his race had absolutely nothing to do with what happened on Sunday morning. It had absolutely nothing to do with why people in this church have taken him in and taken care of him when he needed it. And he still needs it and he will need it for life, right? But we allow what is going on out there in that world to creep inside these walls, to creep inside these walls. And the minute we start allowing ourselves to go down this road or that road means we are not looking at Christ for our direction. And that is our mistress. If if I look at what's happening in churches right now, I see that is our mistress. I see pastors who are tweeting in ways that just makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, I, I see on both sides of the political equation, on absolutely both sides. And, and, we are going to see churches split over this this year. It's going to happen. We're going to see churches split because they don't feel like you're going to the right enough. We're going to see churches split because they don't feel like they're going to the left enough. We're going to see churches just decide to go their own ways and go that way. And either direction you go is the wrong direction. The right direction is Christ. Right? And so Crossings Community Church will be a Christ-centered church. And, and, and it will stay that way. And we have to make sure we don't unintentionally unintentionally allow that to get in here because we are not of this world, right? We are not of this world. We are of that kingdom. And so I want us to be very careful because just like in verse 5 where it says, she does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it, right? Your cable news, your politician, your favorite group, if you're Democrat, Republican, whatever it may be, they don't know, they don't know that they're leading you down the path to death, right? They don't know it. And for me personally, politics is my biggest temptation because I would sit there and debate on politics all day long if I had it my way. I love it. I have to keep myself from doing it, right? Because it's my goal that you never know where I stand politically, right? Because I want you to think of me as someone who only teaches Christ, right? So I don't want you to know. But I would love to do it. I could go for 15 hours straight debating somebody on politics. Because for me, it is the lips of a forbidden woman. It drips honey. It's smoother than oil. I love it. I love it. We can't do it. Right? We can't do it. And so I want you guys to be very, very careful. I want you guys to be very, very cautious. Obviously, we stand for truth. Obviously, there's things we ought to do. I don't want Christians to, to back away from the sphere of politics. I want Christians in government. I want Christians to be politicians. I want us to do it the way. But we can never allow that to become more important than following Christ. Christ first. Everything else is subsequent to it. We seek first the kingdom, and the rest will follow. And if you need anything to help you on this, if this is your struggle, right? If this is your struggle, I want you to remember that, that famous passage where Jesus is, is speaking, and he says, if your eye is causing you to sin, what does he tell you to do with your eye? Pluck it out, right? If, if, this, if your politics are causing you to sin right now, if they're causing you to sin, admit it, pluck it out. T- delete your darn Twitter feed, delete your Facebook feed, turn off your, your, your news station if you have to, because not knowing anything about politics is better than allowing it to become your mistress, right? We've got to be able to balance, we've got to be able to find that way, but if that's your temptation right now, pluck it out, 
right? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll find another way, we'll come back, right? But, but be very careful in this, that people look at you as Christians and not Republicans or not Democrats, because that's where the world's going and we've got to be better than the world. Sorry for my rant, uh, but whenever I read this, this 5, 6, and 7, I read it, I thought about my wife first, and then I thought about everything else that we just talked about immediately afterwards. I wanted to make sure that if that was the Holy Spirit talking to me, to talk to you, that it got out today. So uh, let me pray for us, and we'll end, then I'll, I'll talk to Eugene. Um, Father, thank you for these guys. Thank you for just giving them the patience to put up with me. Uh, I, I do appreciate that. I love these guys so very much, and I love the opportunity I get to teach them. And I ask that you be with these men this week. Uh, you be with them in their marriages. Uh, be with them in their future marriages. Uh, be with them with the hurts that they have from long ago. Be with them if they need to forgive. Be with them if they need to ask for forgiveness. Be with them if, they, if they're having a hard time dealing with guilt. Know that, that they can bring everything to you. You are a great, great father. I, I thank you for the parallel learnings we get in this text. I thank you for the, the reminder of, of our relationship with you, our covenant with you, and that we can't let anything get in the way of that. May you, may you give us wisdom. Help us to avoid the temptations of this world. Because you have called us to something so much greater. And we joyfully, joyfully participate in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.